0: If you've been wondering how to franchise your business or how to take your franchise company to the next level, then this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Tom Dufour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team and a serial entrepreneur And welcome to the Franchise Your Business podcast. On the episode today, we have our webinar from this past Friday, all about franchise audits. So if you've ever wondered, what is a franchise audit? How does a franchise audit work? Why do I need one? What are all the details involved? This is the podcast for you. And our guest is Mo Metwali, who's a CPA and audit partner at Metwali CPA, and he specializes in franchise audits. So we'll go ahead and jump right into his overview on the franchise audit process.
1: All right, Tom, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Uh, just like Tom mentioned, my name is Mohammed um, I'm a f- out of Dallas, Texas. Um, been a CBA for a while, and I'm an XBIC4. Uh, right now, my practice is basically specialized in franchise audit. So um, I'm trying to kind of walk you through what is audit, what to expect. <clears throat> Some of you already been there and know what to expect, but for those who knows, or maybe for the ones that never been on an audit, it is an audit to kind of high level to give you expectations about what to, what's coming your way from an audit perspective. So I'm gonna kick you off here uh, by saying, what is audit versus review? So We get that a lot. Some states require review financial statements. Some states require audit financial statements, especially for the opening balance sheet, uh, audit or review. So you can work with your legal to determine if you are in need of audit or review. But what is that? So audit from an auditor perspective is we provide a reasonable assurance um, that the financial statements are free of material misstatement, right, and and it's reasonable assurance. Now, in review, we provide uh, limited assurance. What is the difference between reasonable assurance and limited assurance? Well, in reasonable assurance, which is audit, we really dig deep down into your books, and we audit substantive. That means I will uh, request assemble select. I would get assembled selections. And then I will start uh, asking for supporting documentation, invoices, agreements, uh, bills, bank statements. So it's really, really in-depth testing. This is audit. In in the other hand, review is more, way more lighter than audit because we're not really required to dig deep, deep down into your books. We kind of want to see that the numbers are really. Tying out to support documentation in a high level. Uh, I don't have the samples. I don't have to test every single account. I just want to make sure that your financials are gap. Uh, there is no, um, you know, weird account or anything that you know catches my eyes. But other disclosure are sufficient. But there is no testing or in depth testing. I should say, like an audit. So if you got the chance to be like, okay, what? an audit or review, definitely my recommendation, if you are eligible or the requirement is kind of relaxed and can, you can get you can get away with a review to go with a review. Um, so which one you need, you will probably have to work with your legal team, make sure you're meeting the requirements. Um, and if it's a review, that would be great. If audit, then it is what it is. Um, auditors work, as I mentioned, it's significantly less in review than an audit and therefore of course the cost will be less um, in, in audit <clears throat> and i get that a lot some people ask okay you just audit the numbers right no we audit more than just numbers it's not just financial statements it's we're required to audit more than just the numbers presented in the financial statement we require to assess your going concern are you going to be in the business in the next six or twelve months we require to look into your laws and um, regulations compliance. Did you file your tax return? And so on and so forth. So audit is way in depth in a nutshell. If you got the option to do a review, then that'd be great. If not, then it is audit. So um, audit standards, Uh, are we doing ICBA, PCOB? What what kind of audit I need? of course, if you are in a franchise world, it most likely will be EICPA, which is private companies, unless you're public. Once you hit that public SEC, then you're going to go to the public company's guidance, which is BCAOB. Uh, BCAOB is a lot more in-depth than just the private, IEICPA standards. Mm. So it requires a lot of disclosures. It requires a lot of presentations. There is a lot into it. Than just a single the AICBA. So, really, it depends on your situation. But if you are listed uh, companies, then, then most likely you will go as the BCAOB. But if you're not listed, you're private, um, then from what I see in the majority will be uh, the AICBA. That stands for uh, American Institution of Certified Public Accountants.
0: Yeah. Gonna, oh, Mo, this is Tom, just to jump in real quick. I, I, most of the folks on um, and that will be interested in this are going to be privately held. Almost all of them will be. Yeah, so that, that'll be the focus for sure.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be the AICPA guidance. So that's what we're going to be. And that's the majority of the franchisor. So um, we will be focusing in the EICB, And this audit, this presentation, it only Trigger the EICBA guidance is not covered. But we're not covering PCOB or any other uh, audit standards. Uh, there is just FYI. There is a yellow book. This is for your state or county. Uh, there is something called single audit. This is for the federal. If you get that federal contract, a HUD is most common. And then there is the international standard, which is IFRS. What is audit? Now we're talking audit phases. So there's three audit phases that we have as an auditor to go through. Every audit got its own um, requirement. This is kind of audit standards, audit procedures that we require to perform based on, again, AICPA uh, standards, right? So the first thing at high level uh, it's planning. Planning is more of, I want to assess the risk of the engagement. So the whole target is: Am I going to go into a company that is going to go bankrupt in the next two three months? Am I going to audit a company that never filed a tax return, never filed any? It's not in um, in compliance with laws and rates? Um I is, am. I, am I going to audit a company that there is a fraud investigation going on? This is kind of give me an idea that not the numbers. It's basically what is this engagement um, in regards to risk assessment, right? So that's the planning. I'm gonna ask questions. Uh, you expect your uh, auditor to send you maybe a questionnaire about you know your going concern, when, and I will talk more about that. Or it will uh, have a walkthrough meetings, and you know what is walkthrough meeting? Well, we wanna assess your risk. We wanna assess. We want to see if you have controls or processes in place to detect or catch a misstatement before even happening. So if you're doing a bank rec every month, that's a control. Yeah. If you see anything weird in your bank rec, you'll be like, okay, you're going to get the bookkeeper and be like, okay, what's going on in here? So that's a control. That's what we consider a control. Uh, So that's the planning. We just need high level. We want to understand this engagement. We wanna understand the risk, uh that will help us to determine uh, what is this engagement gonna fit between the risk assessment uh, metrics. So is it high risk engagement? Is it moderate risk? Is it low risk? And so on and so forth. The second phase is testing. And that's where good stuff. This is where you're gonna see this list coming your way, asking for, hey, provide the invoices, bank statements, uh, bills, agreements, and all this stuff. And basically, uh, the higher the risk in step one or phase one, the more samples we require to audit. So if you're if you have strong controls, if you have process in place, if you have uh, been audited before, all that factor in to um, get you to be a low risk and therefore reduce your sample size. So instead of I'm going and looking into your revenue and saying, okay, I see um you know i see that reality realities is as there is 50 transactions so i'm gonna test 25 of those well if you're a low risk it can be five or ten see so that's planning is that's why planning is very important because we will build on that on the audit so that's testing we basically test every single line item in the balance sheet that meets our materiality and audit is, as I mentioned in the beginning of this uh, webinar, we talked about audit is providing a reasonable assurance. I'm not providing a hundred percent positive assurance. I'm just saying reasonable assurance. And the word reasonable, that means I have a materiality threshold. So anything below materiality, from my, my perspective, um, it will be, it will not be result in a qualified opinion, right? Anything above that threshold will actually uh, qualify my opinion. But as long as you're working with your auditor, uh, as long as you have this relationship of, okay, there is something here we missed, but we can go ahead and uh, propose an adjustment entry that we can adjust it to get it back on track, you should be fine. When we qualify based on this testing is based on, okay, There is material misstatement all over the balance sheet or income statement. So all over the financials that I can't even determine where is it? It's all over the place. Or if there is like a fraud going on, or if there is unjustified transactions. So there is transactions that the client can come up with um, supported documentation or reasonable uh, explanation, right? But as long as you're, I mean, we're, we're human. We we're all do mistakes. As long as you feel like, oh, yeah, right, this is, I missed that one or I overlooked that one and I'm willing to work with the auditor to get it corrected, we call that corrected misstatement. So that's not qualify or does not change my opinion, right? The only ones, the only time we qualify or change my opinion is when there is a material misstatement that we do not deter, we can't determine how to fix it because it's all over the place. Or the client refuses to correct. At that point, that can qualify. Um, so this is testing, and then the last step is reporting. And reporting is as important as um, planning and testing because that's where you get your report. That's where you're gonna attach that to the FDD. So if you are good example, and we've seen it all over the place, states now push back on the ASC 606. Hey, there is no enough disclosure. I wanna know about what, how is that revenue recognition implemented? So that was a big deal because we didn't really know a couple of years ago how to add that disclosure of, to satisfy the state's you know requirement. And that's why it's very important once you get your, your report together to take a, a deep close look into your footnote disclosure your numbers, make sure everything is lining up, make sure you're disclosing everything. And there is a lot of disclosure in the reporting that is very important to the reader that you probably as an owner uh, or a member that you wanna kind of send this message to whoever reading your report. So if you are, you have losses, right? You didn't sell any franchise, you got a bunch of expenses, that resulted into um, you know, losses in your financial statements. And now as an auditor, we have to disclose something called going concern. And I'm going to do that. So in that point, you want to say, look, I know I'm having losses, but at the same time, I'm willing to contribute more funds to get myself back on track, or I'm gonna cut the expenses. Those are like the first year or two, there were a lot of professional fees, legal fees, and so on, but I'm not expecting that to continue in the future. So there's a lot of messages that business owners can send to the reader and make it even more clear to whoever reading this financials. Um, Any questions so far? Tom, good?
0: Yes, it, I think that sounds great. Um, I, I don't know if we have some, we've got several folks on here um, if there are questions, you can certainly type it into the chat box yep. or um, use the hand raise feature. I'll I'll uh, uh, unmute unlo- un- un- you so you can talk. Uh, by the way, as we go through this, so um, but uh, go go ahead for now, Mo. Let's keep it rolling.
1: Awesome. So, head is planning, and um, the first thing in planning we do we can get your permanent files. So, what is permanent files? Those are your formation, your company for your franchise formation documents. So your state registration, your EIN letter that you got from the IRS, uh, if you have a partnership, your partnership agreement, you have debt, so we need to see the loan. If you have an FDD, we need to see the FDD. If you have a franchise agreement, we need to see the franchise agreement. This is very important and it will cut, like the first year audit will be difficult because you have to gather all this information. But those, what we call it permanent because it's permanent. So next this here, you wouldn't have to, unless you change the auditor, of course, but you wouldn't have to provide those, but you will have to provide anything new. So once you get that set up, it's once and for all that's it. You're not going to do that again. And it's very important to have those handy because those give me an idea about, okay, I have everything I need to start my audit. So the permanent files are step one in any audit. Get your document, your, your company documentation ready for an audit get all your uh, company's formation, partnership agreement, DIN, any documentation, FDD, any other legal documentation uh, into your folder to be ready for the audit. As I mentioned, assessing the risk of material statement. And I'm gonna just touch bases on these four areas. There is a lot into that, but those are like the main ones that nobody knows. And when you go to an audit, you're expecting your auditor to just jump in, get a bunch of numbers, ask for a bunch of requests, ask for a bunch of uh, support and documentation, invoices and agreements, and that's it. Audit is more than that. And it's good for the business as well because you really want to know your financial position, right? You want to know, or is there a going concern? Am I going to go out of business soon? Or there is like any financial indication that I'm in financial trouble? And the audit can wait in, in this regard. It can come and say, look, I see going concern risk. And I will explain what is going concern. So, going concern is basically as an accountant, we have a principle called that we assume this company will be in operation in the next six to 12 months. So, we're going with the assumption that the business is stable and is, will be continue, uh in operation in the next six to 12 months. If there is anything that raises doubt about that assumption, we have to know about so what else are those things? Well, if you have recurring losses, year over year, you're making losses. That kind of give me a red flag. Um, yeah. If you have um, huge debt and you don't have enough cash, will you be able to even make your debt payments? Those are red flags that I, me as an auditor would look at your financials and be like, okay, I see a concern, risk here. Um, that can be mitigated though. So we have a risk and then, and that's something you probably, you can work on even before the audit. Okay, I have a going concern risk. I have a, a recurring losses. What I need to do, and that's what we call management evaluation and a plan to mitigate that risk. So you're going to come up with a Word document or, you know, a spreadsheet or whatever and put into details your thought about going concern. Is there really legit risk? Well, any company has the first two, three years got, get losses that's not something unique about your company uh, so you can explain that hey yeah i have losses because i haven't sold a franchise yet um but i'm willing to contribute more fund into this if you're able to of course um and hey what's going on that i can actually be in business in the next six to 12 months i have enough cash i'm contributing more funds i'm looking to sell some assets i'm looking to get loans all these solutions, that can give the auditor an indication that, okay, yeah, that is a going concern risk, but there is a plan in place. That's basically what we're trying to uh, get to. And once we know, okay, there's a plan in place, then we can say, uh, okay, we will have to put that in your um, the disclosure. That's going to be in your financial statement notes. So that's what I'm saying. Financial notes are very important because they can tell the reader something about the company. Um, and second thing is related parties that's very common nobody knows what is that and <laughs> you get all these questions about who, what is related parties what is that well if you have a franchise and you have another company that owned by the same period so let's say you're a single guy you got two companies you got your franchise company you got the core business company and you have shared expenses so you share an office for the two businesses you sit in the same room you're, you're in place in the same room you do everything with shared expenses and you pay from one bank account which is let's say the cool business but but in reality you have to share these expenses so there is transactions between these two entities right there is a transaction between the franchise and the core business we need to disclose those we need to make sure that the reader know that there is related party transaction there's no risk here but the risk is not disclosing and the risk is there is a not business transactions so we can just say okay yeah there is uh, I'm selling something to my franchise for five bucks where you can sell it outside for 50 bucks that's how it is how the risk come along so that's why we have to kind of put into consideration that um, okay there is related parties we have to disclose those we have to make sure those are legit business transactions. And we have to it, sufficiently disclose them in the balance sheet. I mean, in the financial statements, so the reader would know that okay, there is related parties, but we know what is those, what kind of what kind of transaction those are. Those are the expenses, there is revenue going on. What's going on here? Um, I don't see I don't see revenue transactions often. I see expenses transactions, which is, makes sense because as I mentioned, there is like marketing expenses that you have to allocate. You have rent expense that you probably allocate, employee, payroll you have to allocate. So there is a lot of shared expenses that you can actually um, disclose and allocate. laws and rates. Okay, those you have to be in compliance. Um, I get people like, I didn't know that I had to find my uh, my tax return. We, as an auditor, um, auditors we need to make sure you are in compliance with all applicable laws and rates or regulations so IRS is one of them and big one of them so you can just okay yeah I have my tax return ready is there any other state or federal um inspection that you have to go through or um laws and rates that you have to be in compliance with in the top of uh your franchise requirement and IRS if there is where we need to see those and you have to disclose those okay um, yeah, I have inspection here, I have something that I have to file with the state separate, then we need to show you documentation that you are in compliance. Last thing here is fraud um, assessment and those not in a small scale because the owner most likely involved in the day-to-day operation, but it's a required procedure. So when you get that questionnaire about is there any fraud? Are you know, do you know any? Um, thing going on that would raise a suspicion about fraud activities all this it's basic questionnaire that you have to be aware of and also it gives you an indication about okay well I can set up a process in my business um, that catch any fraud activities when you grow and you have more than one or two employees how are you going to monitor the whole thing um, so here, what is what audit can add value other than just auditing your books and issuing a report, it gives you hints about, okay, what I need to do, uh, what I need to put in place, so I can either detect or prevent uh, a fraud or material misstatement. So go through the questionnaire and start thinking about, oh, I can implement this. So um, one common control or process, um, you know, Bankrupt double, um, double signatures. If you have someone issuing the check, you require that the check has a second signature so two people will actually look over the disbursement, not just one. But that's a common thing in the fraud activities that you can implement to prevent any misstatement. Uh, inherent risk and control risk. So what is those? Again, we're all in a planning. The whole goal is to kind of assess the risk. And um, I don't want to spend all the time in planning, but that's basically give us an indication about how risky is the engagement. Last thing is test. I mean, second phase is testing, and in testing again we get your general ledger that should be tied to your trial balance. Trial balance should be tied to your balance sheet or income statement, and then we select the samples uh, balance sheet accounts like cash account receivable. We do that on a confirmation basis. Uh, we send out confirmation to your bank directly, and if we don't get confirmation, we do something called alternative procedures, which is supporting documentation. So we will tie the AR to invoices and subsequent payments and so on and so forth. Another type of this thing we call the analytics, and that's like a trend analysis. So we look into, and that's something you can suggest if there is no, if there is an account like AR. You get the confirmation, and you feel like the auditor is requesting a huge sample. You can suggest, like, "Hey, is it does it make sense for you to just do trend analysis? Because if they are going up, I'm expecting my revenue to go up as well. So if you have, if you can capture this relationship, that's called trend analysis. It give me some comfort. It give me some assurance that the balance fluctuate in the same direction that they should be fluctuating in that direction. So if my revenue is going up, I'm expecting my AR to go up, my account receivable to go up. So instead of I'm going into the GL, pulling a sample and doing all that substantive heavy work, I can just do a trend analysis or ratio analysis. So that's something you can su- suggest to your auditor: hey, how about doing trend analysis or ratio analysis? And again, this is uh last thing I have in the phase. Uh, that's the reporting and completion. So we get the result of the audit again, as long as you're working with your auditor, as long as there is a mutual understanding, um, I, I don't think the auditor would qualify an opinion unless, or modify opinion unless there is a misstatement all over the place. There is a fraud activities going on or the client or the partner or the member refuse to cooperate and refuse to, um adjust their books accordingly. Last uh, last thing after we put that together, we get the financial statement draft along with the disclosure. Uh, you have to approve those so for the auditor to issue. Once we get those back, then we issue the report and that can be then attached to your FTD. So audit adding value. Okay. You look at audit as someone come to your business select a bunch of transactions and ask for for support and documentation. But how really audit can add value to your business? How is it? You look at it like exciting, like, okay. And that's something in our office that we implement. I don't want to just go to your books and select the samples and audit them. I want to be able to help you out. I want to be able to be like, look, if you implement that control or process, you can really, you know, manage the business better and in the same time, reduce your risk and at the same time reduce your sample size and therefore reduce your fees, audit fees. So how to do that? Okay, control environment, cash, bank rec happens every every month. So you get the bookkeeper, the bookkeeper jump in, do the bank rec, send you the rec, and you look over the rec, and you formally sign off on it. That's a control that I can rely on. I can say, oh, they do the bank rec every month, so I don't have to go crazy and go confirm every single month or every every single account. I can just select a couple instead of five. So that cuts my time and therefore cuts your uh, my audit fees. Um, if there is any um, any control in AR, okay. So we have to someone has to be doing an AR aging schedule every month. So you get the AR AR aging, making sure that nothing is beyond ninety days late. Because once you go above 90 days late, that means we have to reserve for bad debt, right? That's the AR. So you've got someone looking over your running this, the AR agent, anything above 90, you have to go call them hey, this invoice is late, please provide us money or come up with a payment plan or something in place so it won't trigger a reserve in your um, end. And then just correct unknown misstatement, discover fraud if any. So audit to help you because if there is, and I'm talking about like maybe a bigger uh, company, not just one or two, when the owner is kind of handoff. Now it adds value because if there is any activity, any fraud activities, it can catch capture, right? While the audit is not, again, it's a reasonable assurance. It can't catch every single thing, but it can give you an indication that, okay, well, we don't feel comfortable about this area. So you might need to look at that. So that's value added to um, you. Get your financials in order to reflect the real picture of your business. So basically, your financials now are gap compliance. You can take those financials and you be it's reflecting the actual position or at least Reasonable uh, assurance that your financials are reflecting the reality. It's not cash basis. It's not. It's a gap basis. So it's um. It's giving you a good idea about where you at from financial from finet financially. Oh do I have uh, enough cash to survive? Do I do I need to increase? Do I need to look over getting more debt or sell an asset to strengthen my my financial position and so on. So it, look at it that way, and you can see that audit really add value. Preparing for the audit. Accurate books, accurate books, accurate books. That's just every auditor's nightmare. Once you, you go into an audit, you need, your book's good, should be good to go. So how I make sure monthly, every month, get someone to look over your books, uh, get a CBA to look over them to make sure they are good to go. Bookkeeper is a must. Um, I guess owners, sometimes you feel like, okay, I can do it myself, I can do it myself. And then you're basically doing everything and you drop the books, which is the most important part. And then you get to the audit and you'd be like, oh man, my books are not in order. And that will result in higher audit fees. That will result in a lot of misstatements. So get, you, get someone on a monthly basis or a depends on... Of course, that your the, the volume of your activities, but get someone to look over that every month for you at least. Permanent files should be you should already have a folder that has those permanent files. Your 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 formation, your um, your IRS, your FDDs, your franchise agreements, your debt agreements. You should have a permanent folder that has all these permanent files. Control performed again. Take credit that will reduce your audit. Um, your audit fees if you're already doing a monthly bank rec say that to your auditor hey we're doing a bank rec here every month and it's signed off by me or signed off by the owner or signed off by the manager um, can we take a credit for that and reduce my sample size we're doing an AR rec hey we're doing an AR rec say that to your auditor uh, financial statement prepared so make sure every month that to prepare your financial statements your bookkeeper should be able to produce every month financial statements. Go over them. sign off on it. Make sure you sign off and document that. It's not hard. You can do it electronically. Let the bookkeeper create a folder for you to keep all these documents handy for the audit. Support and documentation. Of course, that's a big one. Invoices, bills, agreements, receipts. I would highly recommend you go electronic for this. Uh, if most people use, I'm not advertising QuickBooks, but you can use any um, any of those uh, bookkeeping services that do, that do electronic feed. So basically, you're, you're tying your bank account to QuickBooks and they speak the same language. So every week or so, you can see all the transactions going into uh, QuickBooks. And now just to say, kind of systematically saving your invoices, saving your bank statements, saving your bills, saving your agreements, receipts and all that. Uh, that will make your audit goes way smoother in a state of I'm coming, getting assembled, and you're going to just go there, spin your wheels, try to figure out what is this invoice or what is this bill. That's pretty much it uh, for me. I know I'm over the 30 minutes, so uh, I will open it for questions, guys. Uh, any questions for me, Tom?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mo. That was great. That was great information. Uh, We do have a question, a couple questions that came in. One question was regarding states which which require the audit, um, what are the criteria to be approved as a franchisor is a question.
1: Uh, Okay. So you need an audited, it depends on the state, of course, but you, you need an opening balance sheet audit. So that's a requirement that you need uh, the first year will be the opening, what we call it, the opening balance sheet. So basically, you just started out, you deposit money into your bank account, and uh, now you have cash and equity, right? So that redu- that produce balance sheet only balance sheet because you haven't sold anything and you haven't uh, incurred any expenses. So you have no expenses, you have no um, you have no revenue yet. So there is no income statement, there is no PL, but there is a balance sheet. And it goes through the same exact process. We will almost, of course, it's a list of audit fees, but because they only two accounts. But it goes to through the same process that I just mentioned. The same faces, the same report, uh, because it's an audit, and it's the auditor's responsibility to issue an accurate uh, financial uh, auditor reports. So you basically deposit the money. You have an opening balance sheet, and then I mean you have. cash and you have equity, you get your balance sheet set up and then with financial statement disclosure, you have to disclose everything. ACC 606 has to be in there. You have to disclose your cash. You have to disclose just the regular audit. Uh, but the only difference, you'll only have cash and equity in your balance sheet. Hmm.
0: Thank you, Mo. And a question came in uh, just For, uh, is there a a cost or an estimated range? I'd imagine it maybe depends on the type of business or how long it's been operating, but do you have any kind of ballparks you could share?
1: Uh, It depends really on how, yeah, there is a lot of factors, I would say. Uh, First of all, how accurate is your books? Second of all, how big is your company? So it usually fluctuates with your franchise, uh, revenue. So if you're selling franchise, that's gonna trigger 606, a lot of a lot of disclosure, a lot of testing. But uh, for opening balance sheet that can vary from uh one one and a half K to two K. That's an opening balance sheet kind of range. It goes up as you have initial fees coming in that's a that requires disclosure and requires um of course audit And you go up from there. But it really depends on how many accounts you have and um, the activities you have as well. So I would highly recommend the franchise franchise company. Keep it simple. That will reduce your audit fees. And in the same time, you still uh, meet your requirements. So keep it simple. Don't mingle things within the franchise. Keep keep separate books, completely separate books uh, for the franchise. And that will reduce your audit fees
0: great, great thank you very much. Uh, additional questions uh, for for mo I, I know I have one maybe to ask uh, you know in terms of timing, is there a typical timeline this takes to get prepared and you know maybe a, a window uh, of time?
1: Uh, if we're talking about uh, it depends on the auditor who's doing the audit and I can only speak of myself. So if you if your books are accurate and if your books are ready to go, and we have this kick- kickoff meeting in the beginning. What I tell you, okay, here is my list. Here is my request list. I need one, two, three, four. I need, um here is my questionnaires to target. And I can go back to target this areas. So I can add this uh, areas right there. Oh, yeah, right there. So going concerning questionnaire, related parties, general questions that give me ideas. So the faster you give me, back my request list my support and documentation your permanent files and the faster you give me these questionnaires, the sooner i can finish the audit because i have everything i need you know mm. so in a in a small area yeah i can take between uh, yeah i mean opening balance sheet wouldn't take um i would say a week three business days to five business days once we get the confirmation back from the bank once we get your planning up and running once we get the report approved by you, we should be firing up. Uh, a larger one with franchise going on, uh, selling franchise and there's royalties and all that, it might take more than that, depending on how responsive is the client. Um, unfortunately, sometimes you get, you know, within the day-to-day operation and you totally forget about the audit. Uh, but if the client is really responsive one to two weeks, and we talking about like if you are in the 100k 500k range it will be about 2 weeks um, give or take
0: okay that's great that's great so so essentially the the higher revenue the more transactions the longer it will end up exactly. it'll just take you longer to go through that exactly exactly okay great uh, that's very helpful. So it sounds like maybe for an emerging brand or a new franchisor, that maybe one to two week window um, for a brand that's just getting started sounds pretty pretty realistic there. Yeah. and uh, I think it's a, it's a great point for what with what you shared here. Even if for a new franchise brand, all of these things still have to be gone through and and uh, and, and reviewed. So I think this has been great great information. Mo, thank you again for being on the show uh, and on our weekly webinar series and allowing us to have a chance to share it on our podcast too. If you're interested in reaching out to Mo, you can reach him at metwallycpa.com. That's M-E-T-W-A-L-L-Y-C-P-A.com. And it's in the show notes too. And Mo, thank you again for being here. And uh, that's the episode today, folks. So please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and please, please, please give us a review as we're still early on in this. And remember, if you or anyone you know might be ready to franchise our business, please contact us at BigSkyFranchise.com. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to having you back on the next episode.